0: Welcome to day four of our look at John chapter 2. We're going to be looking together today at verses 12 to 16. John chapter 2 is an interesting chapter. It really has two stories in it. Jesus goes to a party where he works a miracle, and then Jesus goes to a temple where he he cleans up. It's pretty simple things that have very, very deep meanings. In fact, as we look at verses 12 all the way through 25, start our two-day look at these verses. I invite you to slow down in your mind, even though we're just talking about him for a few minutes, and picture what happened in these verses. Because we're going to see that Jesus' cleansing, his cleaning of the temple, is a clear picture to you of the great power that he has to make a difference in your life. If you get the picture of what Jesus Christ does here in the second chapter of the book of John when he enters the temple, if you cement it in your mind, it has incredible power to change your life. It's not just a story about what Jesus Christ, the Son of God, did 2,000 years ago at a temple in Jerusalem. The powerful truth in this experience from the life of Jesus will help you to see how God can work in your life to help you become the kind of person that God wants you to be. What happened? Well, it's set up for us in verses 12 and 13. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. And when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went to Jerusalem. Now, this sort of sets things up. It helps us to get things in mind. First of all, just notice it says Jesus went to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers. Why is verse 12 here? I mean, we know he's going to go from the north of Israel down to the south of Israel, but here it says he went to Capernaum, which was also in the north, and he stayed there for a few days before going south. Why is that in the Bible? Why would God let us know that? Well, it's a reminder to me that Jesus knew how to pace his life. He knew he was going to go into a time of some great interaction with the crowds and some great controversy and even some confrontations. He knew he was going to need some energy when he went down to Jerusalem. So he took a few days away with his mother and his brothers. Some of you are thinking, wait, Jesus had brothers? We're going to talk about that more as we go through the Gospel of John. Yes, he did. He was with his family. He's showing us here that he knows how to pace his life. When I think of timetables... Jesus always knew God's timetable for his life. And when I think of timetables, I think of rushing and hurrying and worrying and getting there. Jesus Christ was on God's timetable every moment of his ministry, but you don't see him rushing. You don't see him hurrying or worrying. There's some conviction in that for me. Jesus knew how to pace his life. He goes a few days with his family, and then he goes down because it's almost time for the Jewish Passover. This is important, the Jewish Passover. It's extremely important you got to get oriented to that if you're going to understand what happens in the Gospel of John. You probably remember that the Jewish Passover was the yearly celebration of the Jews that commemorated the fact, that remembered the fact that God's death angel had passed over the houses of the Jews while they were in Egypt. They'd put blood on their doorposts. And the angel had passed over and saved the children in every one of those homes because they trusted God. We know from Luke chapter 2, the Jesus' family, at least from time to time, went to Jerusalem for the Passover. If there were like many of the families in that day, they would have gone every year. In fact, by Jewish law, every male within 15 miles of Jerusalem was required to come to the city for the Passover. And however far away a Jewish man or family was, they wanted to be in Jerusalem for this celebration. And the result of that was that during this celebration, this city of 200,000, sometimes swelled to two and a quarter million people just think of the crowds, think of the excitement, think of the celebration, and Jesus goes down for this celebration. It's interesting that in the gospel of John, all three Passover celebrations during the ministry of Jesus are mentioned. Here, John chapter 2, verse 13, and then later we're going to see John chapter 6, verse 4, just after the feeding of the 5,000, and then in John chapter 12, verse 1, just before Jesus' death. The Passover celebration is very important in this gospel. And here's Jesus going down for the Passover celebration and something very important is going to happen. In verse 14, in the temple courts, he found men selling cattle, sheep, and doves and others sitting at tables exchanging money. Now, when you see the words temple courts, you need a map of the temple in your mind. Remember that the temple itself, the building, sat in the middle of some courts, some courtyards that were built around it, some outer courts and some inner courts, some that certain people could go into and others couldn't go into. And Jesus found in these courts outside the temple some people selling animals and some people exchanging money. Now, in a minute, we're going to see he gets very angry at this. Why? What's the deal that's going on here? People selling animals. When you came to offer a sacrifice during the Passover celebration, during any sacrifice at the temple, you had to give a perfect sacrifice. And you had to have your animal examined by the priest in order to give a perfect sacrifice. And when that animal was examined, it would almost certainly be rejected. Even if you brought a perfect animal, they would reject the animal that you brought so they could sell you an animal. You had to buy a pre-approved animal from the temple herd. As a, for instance, in this of what it cost people, a bird outside the temple cost about 15 of our cents. A bird inside the temple, maybe the same bird, you'd pay as high as $15. That's the extortion that was going on here. People were selling animals. People were exchanging money. Every Jew over 19 was required to pay a temple tax. It was a tax of a half a shekel. and had to be paid in a special temple coin. The only place that you could get that temple coin was at the temple. And sometimes if you didn't have one of those coins, it was the only place you could get one. They would charge twice the amount they should. One commentator has figured that the Sadducees who were doing this selling were clearing over $200,000 in this business each year just by basically extortion. They had a monopoly. Jesus saw this happening. And here's what he did in verse 15 and 16. And so he made a whip out of cords and he drove all from the temple area, both sheep and cattle, and he scattered the coins of the money changers and he overturned their tables. And to those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. How dare you? How dare you turn my father's house into a market? Now, don't miss the drama of this moment. Here's the people shouting, buy my money here, buy my money here, better deal here. Get your shekels here, the clinking of coins. Here are the animals, the lambs and the cows and the doves, the boas and the and the moves and the coos, all the noise that's going on in this huge crowd that's there. In the middle of all of this, Jesus says, stop. You've turned my father's house into a swap meet. What caused this great anger in Jesus? Besides the obvious that's here, during the Passover time, in Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 4, the people were told that during the seven days of this celebration, no trace of yeast was to be found in their home. Just like they had eaten unleavened, unyeasted bread during the Passover, they were not to have any yeast in their home. It was a sign of being unclean. And so as a part of this celebration, every family would go through their home and they would clean out every bit of yeast. It would be painstaking, but it was the law because you couldn't have one bit of uncleanliness in that house. At a time when every other house in Jerusalem was painstakingly being cleansed, Jesus walks in and says, my father's house is unclean. How could you do this? And the anger, the rage, it overwhelmed him, and he drove them all out. But Jesus was angry. But what do we learn about that? What do we learn from the anger of Jesus? Jesus never sinned, so we know he's not sinning here. Well, I learned three things. What do I learn from Jesus' anger? I learned that there are times when it is right to be angry. There are some things that demand a response. Not just all right to be angry. There are times when it is right to be angry. What are those times? Well, not, not the times when I usually want to be angry. The times when it is right to be angry are not the things that are important to you selfishly. They're the things that are important to God eternally. I have to admit, I get angry about selfish things not eternal things. If only I could have the heart of Jesus. There are times when it is right to be angry, and Jesus shows us one of those rare times. Second thing to learn from Jesus is anger. Just because something is accepted by society does not mean it is acceptable to God. Now, that, that sounds simple. That sounds obvious, but it is also vital. We always tend to mirror in our society what we see rather than reflect Christ's love in our lives. It's just a temptation. And people, when they were selling these animals, when they were buying these shekels, they'd probably gotten to the point where they didn't even think of it as being wrong. There are just some things that had crept in over the years. Does that sound familiar? There are things we allow to creep into our lives, into our society, into our families. We're going to talk about that some more tomorrow. And there's a third truth from the anger of Jesus here. Third truth I learned is that it's more important to be spiritually correct than to be politically correct and that you can't always be diplomatic about the truth. If there'd been another way to get this message across, Jesus would have expressed it another way. He was teaching the people. I like to be diplomatic. Maybe you do. I like everybody to agree. I like people to walk out of a room feeling good about the decision that they've made, feeling good about themselves, positive about life. But there are times in life when you just have to say, there's no easy way to say this. Here's the truth. And it may hurt, it may stink, it may make you feel bad about yourself. But here's the truth, because it's the only way to get you to the good that God wants to do in your life. Jesus, in this case, said it in anger. Sometimes we have to say it in sadness. Sometimes we have to say it just in a matter of fact and clear way to people. You can't always be diplomatic to the point of people not understanding this is the truth. As a believer in Christ, you cannot always speak around the truth. Jesus couldn't. He walked in, and he drove them out, and he cleansed the temple. Now, tomorrow, we're going to look at the reason why this happened and the difference that it makes in our lives today. But today, as we pray, I'd like to pray about what we learn from the anger of Jesus. And as you pray, would you just pray two simple prayers? First, pray, Lord, is there something I need to stop being angry about? Just say to Jesus, as I look at your righteous anger, I see the shallowness of my selfish anger. Is there something I need to stop being angry about? And then pray, Lord, is there something I need to to start being angry about? Something that's important to you. Not the kind of anger that comes from my selfish pride, but the kind of anger that, that comes from a A need for change, the kind of change that only you can work. Jesus, I'm afraid even to pray this because I may not even understand what that would be, but I know you can show me. Is there some way that your glory is being trampled underfoot? Help me not just to put up with that. Lord, help me to stop being angry about selfish things. And Lord, lead me, instead of being politically correct and diplomatic all the time, to willingly express my disappointment, my hurt, and even my anger when your name is trampled underfoot. I worship you as my Father. Thank you for your love for me. In your name, amen.